0: Here is a fun fact. I am a huge Disney fan, which is really an understatement for those who know me. I love Disney theme parks, I love the music, I love the movies, all the creativity, innovation, energy that's come to define Disney. But more than anything else, I am so inspired by the life of Walt Disney himself. I try to read as many books as I can, I try to watch as many documentaries as I can about Walt because I am fascinated by his vision and imagination and thought process. Our son Nevin and I just finished watching a brand new series about Walt Disney Imagineering and the making of Disneyland. It's an extraordinary story. Walt took an ordinary dusty orange grove of about 160 acres and in just one year, turned it, despite the critics and the seemingly impossible vision and timeline, transformed it into the magical kingdom that we know today. Well, shortly after Disneyland opened in 1955, Walt was asked about his future plans, and he famously said, Disneyland will never be completed. It will continue to grow as long as there is imagination left in the world. He went on to explain. I can never stand still. I must explore and experiment. We keep moving forward, opening up new doors and doing new things because we're curious. And curiosity leads us down new paths. I want you to notice those words. We're not going to stand still. We're going to keep moving forward because our work isn't finished. It's growing. It's expanding. It's leading us to new places. This is really just the beginning. Well, we're in a series right now called Don't Forget to Remember. We're revisiting some verses and beliefs that are important for living out our faith, and yet there are probably truths that we haven't thought about for a while, or maybe we haven't processed or examined. This morning, we're going to look at the reality that Jesus is coming back and what that means for us today. And it really revolves around the question, in light of Jesus' return, how are we going to live Our lives? Are we going to approach life with this standing still, waiting type posture? Or can we continue to move forward with hope and imagination and this faith-filled outlook on life, knowing that our lives are part of a bigger story that in a lot of ways is only just getting started? There's a lot of Bible verses that talk about Jesus' return. But for today, I want us just to immerse ourselves in one story found in the opening verses of the book of Acts. Acts is probably my favorite book in the Bible. I think you're allowed to have favorites. I love the story of the early church beginning to take its first steps, trying to figure out what all of this life and faith is all about. It's messy at times. But there's also something beautiful and exciting that happens as these early disciples are led by the Holy Spirit into unexpected places and situations. I've often called them stories in motion. Acts chapter 1 takes place in the days immediately following Jesus' resurrection. And the disciples have just witnessed two major events that are still very much fresh in their minds. They saw Jesus die a violent death, On the cross. And they also saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. And I'm sure that they are trying to process all of these emotions and questions coming from those experiences. But now you can feel that there's almost a sense of relief that things are finally back on track. Jesus is with them. He's hanging out with them. He's here to stay. Finally, he's going to establish the kingdom that they've been expecting, that they've been waiting for. It's finally here. And they all have big roles to play. Well, Jesus is going to talk to them about a kingdom. But it's not the kingdom that they've imagined. It's not an ethnically-centered or a geographically-centered kingdom. Instead, it's a much larger, far wider-reaching kingdom that will reach out to every part of the globe and universe. It's called the kingdom of God. God's presence and rule coming through Jesus Christ heaven-touching earth. It's the healing of brokenness and pain and sin. It's the overcoming of death itself. It is the restoration of all things. And so Acts chapter 1 begins with these words. Writer is Luke. He said in my first book, the Gospel of Luke, I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So I want you to notice that last sentence. As Jesus ascends to heaven, the promise is given that one day he will return in person. That truth and reality is a core part of our Christian faith and creed. Jesus will come back one day. And ever since then, there's been lots of speculations and theories and ideas and predictions about how it's going to happen and when. Over the years, lots of people have come up with dates about Jesus' return, trying to show why their theory is the correct one. And of course, they've all failed miserably. Because the truth is pretty simple. We don't actually know. And it's not up to us to try to figure out or predict or worry about. Look at verse 7. Jesus says, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know all we need to know is that one day it will happen full stop I'm actually good with that answer because at the end of the day I don't want to waste my time trying to figure out what isn't mine to try to figure out it'll happen at some point but the more important and relevant question is what does Jesus future return mean for you and me today in this moment that we've been given How does remembering the truth that Jesus will one day come back, impact us today? What posture of living should we hold on to here and now? Well, I think the question the disciples are asked is significant. Look at verse 11. Why are you standing here, staring into heaven? It's easy to rush past those words, so let me read it again. Why are you standing there, staring into heaven? Such a great question. Personally, I also find it kind of funny. Just picture the scene. Jesus is with his disciples, and as he's talking with them, he suddenly starts to rise up from the ground. And as they're watching, he disappears into the clouds in the sky. I imagine the disciples frozen in place, their mouths gaping. Just eyes wide open, necks straining to see and process what's just happened. And then suddenly two angels appear, and they ask the disciples, why are you staring up into heaven? Why are you just standing here? Uh, Because we just saw Jesus disappear? He was here just one second ago, and now he's fully gone. How could they not be shocked by what they had seen? I think it's a pretty good bet that it's actually fear that's brought them to a standstill. They had been preparing to see God's kingdom come, but they weren't expecting this. Jesus has disappeared. He's gone. And they realized that everything has changed again. How can we do this without Jesus being physically present with us? What are we supposed to do now? We're alone. The reality is that fear can paralyze us. It can keep us at a standstill, not being able to move forward in life. Fear wears many hats. For the disciples, it was the fear of Jesus leaving them, so unexpected, leaving them uncertain of what's coming next. In my own story, it's been the fear of Jesus coming back. Let me explain. When I was first given this sermon topic, I immediately went into full panic mode I could fear, feel all of this fear stirring inside of me because I was getting triggered by memories of my childhood. You can go to the next picture. This is our church photo from the early 80s. I know it doesn't look like it here, but that cute kid in the middle uh, had a lot of fear. I grew up in a church culture that produced a lot of fear, especially around the end times. And Jesus' return, and theories about how it was all gonna happen. Sandwiched between the 1970s book, The Late Great Planet Earth, and the 1990s Left Behind series was my childhood. When I was seven, almost about that time, my parents took me on a Sunday evening to go see an End Times movie called Image of the Beast. Until I picked this picture out, which is actually from the movie, I realized that that kid that you see there pretty much is me. And I didn't realize till later how much significance that is. Well, going to see a movie like this on a Sunday night, just perfect for kids. Ironically, here's another fun fact. It was at our Mount Pleasant location at 10th Church years and years ago. This was long before Pastor Ken, long before 10th became what it was. Let me tell you, it was a terrifying experience, especially through the eyes of a seven-year-old. Images of beheadings accompanied by awful screaming. It scarred me in so many ways. It was traumatic. In fact, to this day, and Michelle is a witness to this, I still get nightmares. A few years later, in 1988 to be exact... A book came out that predicted 88 reasons why Jesus would be coming back in September of 1988. I was at a Christian camp that weekend, the weekend it was supposed to happen, perfect timing. And let me tell you, I was petrified the entire time, that entire weekend, frozen, incapacitated, standing still, full of fear. Not because I wasn't a follower of Jesus, I just didn't want it to happen anytime soon. I was young, I had dreams for my life, I wanted to get married, I wanted to have a family, I wanted a career, I wanted to travel, I wanted to live life. I didn't want Jesus to return, cut it all short, and I certainly didn't want to see any of the awful things that would happen. I think the only time I ever wanted Jesus to come back was when a teacher would surprise us with a pop quiz that I hadn't studied for. I figured that would have at least been a good time for Jesus to suddenly show up But all that to say, I was fearful with this idea of Jesus coming back. And honestly, it kept me at a standstill in my faith for so many years. The only thing I grew in was fear, not faith or love or hope. So fear is real. Whether that's fear about Jesus leaving us, or in my case, fear about Jesus coming back. Maybe it's fear about the world that we live in that is uncertain and overwhelming and paralyzing. Or maybe, like my dear mom, you just want Jesus to return to rescue us and take us out of the messiness of our world. Maybe you're just trying to hold on until Jesus comes back. Fear wears many hats. Maybe you've had similar experience. Maybe you're walking through a type of fear right now. I want you to hear this today, fear of any kind will keep you frozen and paralyzed and standing still in life rather than moving forward. And so the question, why are you standing here, is meant to remind us that we need to keep moving, that we need to keep going. We've been given an assignment. We've been given work to do. We've been invited to participate in a story that is bigger than us and yet also includes us. And it will eventually one day culminate in Jesus coming back. But until then, we can't sit around or stand still. We need to get going. We need to keep growing. We need to keep keep moving. This is really just the beginning. I think verse 8 is the key. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Jesus says to all of his disciples, you all are witnesses of my story, the story I've begun. A witness is someone who has experienced, seen, heard, touched, felt, been part of an event and story. And now as a witness, you're to take that story and that experience and to live it out and to share it and to take it with you wherever you go. And so standing still isn't an option When you've been invited and commissioned to go out to every part of the world as a participant in Jesus' story. And so, the task and the work that Jesus gives to all of his disciples, past, present, and future, is to retell and to live out his story and message to our world, living from a new and empowered reality filled by his own spirit and presence. And to keep on doing that, and to keep on moving forward. Until the day he returns. Well, what is that story? It's the story that we are people of the resurrection, people whose lives have been impacted and transformed and changed because of Jesus' resurrection. His resurrection changes everything resurrection over death, over fear but also the beginning of new life, the beginning of a restored world, heaven-touching earth. Theologian N.T. Wright says, For the early Christians, Jesus' resurrection launched God's new creation upon the world, beginning to fulfill the prayer Jesus taught his followers that God's kingdom would come on earth as in heaven, and anticipating the new heavens and a new earth promised by Isaiah and again in the New Testament. Resurrection is the process by which God is making the world and us new again. And that process began the moment that Jesus rose from the dead, and it will continue until the final moment when death no longer exists in any form. And Jesus brings all things together into their absolute fullness. The challenge that we face is that we live in this weird reality and tension between the now And the not yet. It means that even though things have been set into motion, they won't reach their ultimate fulfillment until a later time when Jesus returns. And yet, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that resurrects us and leads us and moves us in each moment and situation and place that we find ourselves in to keep going, to keep working to keep growing, to keep moving in faith and hope and love, to be witnesses of God's new creation being birthed even now until the day Jesus comes back. And that truth tells us two things. Who we're becoming matters now and in the future. And what we do matters now and in the future. First Peter 1.13 calls us to live holy lives, lives that are aligned with the life of Jesus, having clear and renewed minds until the day he returns. Keep going. Keep moving forward. And I love this one. First Corinthians chapter 15 is the great chapter in the Bible about the resurrection. It talks about Jesus' resurrection. It also talks about the final victory over death at the end of time when Jesus returns. And at the end of this chapter... On resurrection come these words, verse 58. Be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Think about that. At the end of the greatest chapter in the Bible about resurrection, we're told not just to hang on in life, Or to keep holding on to just a future hope until Jesus comes back. No, it tells us that our work, what we do now, today, matters. Because it comes from the reality of the resurrection. I love how N.T. Wright says it. It's quite a long quote, but worth the time. He goes on to say, People who believe in the resurrection, in God making a whole new world in which Everything will be set right at last. Are unstoppably motivated to work for that new world in the present. The resurrection means that what you do in the present matters into God's future. What you do in the Lord is not in vain. It matters. You are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to roll off the cliff. You're not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown on the fire. You are, strange as it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child, every act of care and nurture of comfort and support, every prayer, every deed that spreads the gospel, that builds up the church, that embraces and embodies holiness and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. Who you are matters. What you do matters. Now and for all eternity. Whether you're a student, or a professor, or a stay-at-home parent, or a single parent, or retired, or an artist, or a doctor, or a researcher, or a barista, or a server, it matters. Your work matters. Your life matters. Your story matters. Your voice matters. You may be a work in progress. You probably don't have it all together or figured out, and that's okay, because you and I are part of a bigger story. As a follower of Jesus, you are a witness and a storyteller of Jesus' love and presence and power and resurrection life in what you do and how you do it and where you do it, everywhere you go and to everyone you meet. It's not about how big or how small you think it is. You may be working on a global justice issue, or you may be serving a cup of coffee to a customer. If it is done with Jesus' love and is moving us to a future where life and love every day is this moment in reality, then you are being a witness and a participant in God's story of renewal and resurrection and newness in our world. Ruth Simon says, what if God is changing the world through the so-called hidden places of our living rooms, local coffee shops, or at our kitchen tables where the mission field our world is coming to us? We get to be part of the story. We've been invited to participate now in the renewal of our world. Process isn't complete. The story hasn't ended It won't be complete until Jesus returns, but we are called to continue and to keep going in the work that began with Jesus' resurrection. Don't live life standing still. Don't let fear keep your feet frozen in place. Don't think it doesn't matter. Who you are matters. What you do matters. I began this message with Walt Disney's words that he couldn't stand still, that he needed to keep moving forward, that he wasn't going to stay where he was, because there are new paths and opportunities waiting to be discovered. I can't help but think that if one guy full of so much vision and passion and creativity could keep moving forward and could do what he did in building the kingdom of a mouse, how much more? How much infinitely more can and should become the reality in Jesus' kingdom? God's kingdom. Bringing heaven to earth. Bearing witness of Jesus' resurrection, life, and power. Bringing life and transformation and newness and restoration to all things. Who you are and what you do matters. So keep going in life. Keep moving forward. Keep being a witness of Jesus' resurrection and life. And let's keep doing that with vision and passion and creativity and power until the day Jesus comes back. Let's pray. In just these moments, I want to invite you to respond as I lead in prayer. You may find yourself in a couple different ways to respond here. And the first is that if there's a fear that you are holding onto right now that's keeping you from moving forward in life, if there's that fear that is weighing you down, that is paralyzing your feet, that is not allowing you to kind of move into those areas that you know you should be in, I want to invite you to open your heart and to release that to Jesus here this morning. To name that fear. There's something about naming that fear and acknowledging it that renders it powerless. And to allow the love of Jesus to come because perfect love, we're told, drives out fear. And so in just this moment, you can open your hands and release that fear to God in a new way here this morning. And if you need a fresh infilling of Jesus' spirit and presence and power to come, to allow that breath to give shape, that resurrection power to move you forward, to know that what you do and who you are matters, invite you now to just take a deep breath and to breathe God's spirit into your weary heart or into the place and situation that you need him here this morning. So, Jesus, I thank you for this sacred moment, this sacred time that we've had here today. You know every situation, every story, you know every struggle, every fear, every weight that can bring us down. And yet, in this moment, we release those fears, we release those anxieties, those worries to you. That we would not find ourselves standing still or just staring straight ahead, but we would instead allow our lives, our hearts, our minds to be re-centered on you. May you come and fill us with the fresh power of the resurrection itself. Allow that power and that presence to come and to fill us once again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.